Welcome to our Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Luca Rossi and I'm the co-deputy editor in our London office. This week, our reporter Connor Lovell will discuss the situation of the UK tour operator Thomas Cook, while legal analyst Sean Qureshi will talk about an ongoing Singaporean restructuring situation which recently found its way to the English High Court. In terms of the primary market, don't forget that Reorg that Explain will be discussing the findings of a primary leveraged loan survey at a panel event in London on the 2nd of July. So, let's speak about uh, Thomas Cook. Connor, can you talk us through the situation? Of course. Thomas Cook is one of the most shorted credits in the market right now. The business is highly levered and its earnings outlook is very weak. In a recent earnings call this month, management warned that its tour operator business was under pressure. Net debt there rose by 860 million in the first half, driven by a weak trading performance and around 500 million of working capital outflow. Liquidity is also tight. Although the company just announced 300 million pound of extra liquidity for winter 2019. On top of this, the airline arm of the business is up for sale. The company's bonds fell further from the mid 60s at the start of the month to the mid 30s. One year CDS jumped to 56 points up front from around 30 at the start of the month. The company has already been through a debt restructuring, right? That's correct. Um, in 2011, net debt rose to three billion pound and leverage shot up to nearly five and a half times following the volcanic eruption in Iceland. The company requested two emergency loans in the space of one month and agreed a costly amend and extend on its debt. The restructuring finished in June 2013 after 1.6 billion in recapitalization and 425 million of fresh equity. Okay, interesting. Uh, Thomas Cook uh, uh, also announced a new credit line a couple of weeks ago. What can you tell us about it? Uh, yes, alongside uh, the results, the company said it had agreed a new £300 million credit line from some of its existing bank lenders. The, fa- the facility will be available from the 1st of October to June 2020. Interestingly, though, the availability of this line is dependent on the progress in the strategic review of the airline, but not on the a- actual sale. Uh, the tour operator itself is highly seasonal, and when compounded with variable booking trends, Thomas Cook faces huge cash flow swings from one quarter to another. So where does this new credit line sit in the capital structure? Essentially, the new credit line has primed unsecured bondholders and sits right at the top of the, of the capital structure. It is secured by £300 million of assets on a first-ranking basis until maturity. The same assets secure the existing RCF on a second ranking basis until maturity in November 2022. Um, Thomas Cook Airlines, so the airlines business, has been up for sale since uh, February. So where are we in that process so far? Well, there have been several expressions of interest in buying parts of the airline. Lufthansa submitted a bid for Condor, Thomas Cook's German airline. Virgin Atlantic is looking at the UK long-haul business, and the private equity group Triton Partners has submitted a bid for the Scandinavian business, which includes both an airline and a tour operator. Depending on what gets sold and the multiple, proceeds could be between 50 and 450 million. Okay, so the interest is there for the airline assets. Let's just wait and see which airlines are eventually sold and at what price. Uh, But what would uh, Thomas Cook look like without an airline? Well, that's an interesting question. The The airline is the most profitable bit of Thomas Cook, generating 264 million of a bit in 2018, compared to around 200 for the tour operator. Um, on a regional basis, 
Northern Europe is Thomas, Thomas Cook's most profitable region with consistently high single-digit operating margins, while the UK is a bit of a laggard um, despite years of operational restructuring. The, the main strategy on the side of the tour operator has been to grow its share of own brand hotels. They offer a better customer experience, higher margins and the greatest renewal rates. Uh, margins have improved but have started to suffer due to cost inflation and some pricing pressure in home markets. Interesting. Um, will the airline sales trigger uh, a takeover of the, of the whole company if the, the, the sale um, comes through? Perhaps. Um, without an airline, Thomas Cook will no longer have to comply with EU rules that stipulate majority ownership of airlines by EU investors and citizens. This could open the door for Fosun, uh, a Chinese conglomerate, to further increase its shareholding in the company. Uh, the new sponsor will, however, need to repurchase the bonds given the existing change of control provisions unless 90% of the bondholders agree to waive the obligation. Thanks, Connor. Shan, the Singaporean-based company HNCS Holdings is currently restructuring in Singapore. What's the background here? Thanks, Luca. The company is involved in the trading of iron and steel commodities. It sources products globally and mainly sells to buyers in Asia, in particular the People's Republic of China. However, the economic slowdown and the credit crunch in China have affected its business and its sales have declined from 2 billion US dollars in 2017 to just 500 million US dollars in 2018. The company has therefore engaged EY to draw up a Singaporean scheme of arrangement in which it aims to cut some of its unsecured debt. Okay, so that seems uh, relatively straightforward. What brought the company to the English uh, jurisdiction? Well, as well as trying to restructure, the company is also involved in an ongoing arbitration and wanted to prevent any decision and subsequent award in the arbitra arbitration from affecting the restructuring. In order to do so, the company firstly applied to the Singaporean court in February for a moratorium under the new Singaporeans, Singaporean Companies Act, and it was successful in its, in its application. It then went on to apply to the High Court in London for recognition of the Singaporean stay which granted it further protection in England. On what grounds uh, did the company apply? So why did the English court grant the recognition of the Singaporean moratorium? Well, the application was made by the company's foreign representative and was made under the UNCITRAL model law, which has been incorporated into the legal regimes of both Singapore and England. In England, the model law is incorporated by the Cross-Border Insolvency Regulations, or CBIR. The application to the English court explained that the company's scheme was to be recognised as a foreign main proceedings under the CBIR. Counsel for the company submitted an expert report to the English judge explaining the background of this, both the Singapore's Company Act and Singapore's adoption of the model law. So the application was made in March and sought, so far as was possible, to stay all proceedings against the company and in particular to stay the arbitration. It was explained that the company was pursuing a Singaporean scheme of arrangement, which was a collective proceeding pursuant to a law relating to insolvency under the control of a su or supervision of a foreign court for the purpose of re reorganisation or liquidation. This being the type of proceeding which can benefit from recognition under the CBIR. It was explained in evidence that the relevant provisions of the Singapore Companies Act under which the moratorium had been granted, came from Chapter 11 of the US Bankruptcy Code, and that proceedings under Chapter 11 had been recognised previously by the English courts. 
The judge in the English court was satisfied that the application could be granted and that a stay could be granted to the company in the English court. Okay, so the Singaporean company now benefits from a stay in the English jurisdiction. So why is this case relevant for insolvency practitioners in Singapore and in England? Well, the Singaporean Companies Act, which is where the Singaporean scheme and this type of moratorium originate from, only came into force at the end of 2017. So this case is the first time that an English court has recognized a Singaporean moratorium. It is a new precedent. What this means in practice is that moving forwards, insolvency practitioners can be confident that the English courts will recognize moratoriums granted by the Singaporean courts under the CBIR. In short, this will aid cross-border restructurings for Singaporean companies that have assets located in England. Thank you, Shan. So that's all for uh, this week Reorg Europe uh, podcast. We will be back in two weeks' time. Ciao.